0: Beth and I'm a Psychological Wellbeing Practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and I've loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate. And it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever.
1: If you're looking to become a psychologist then let this be your guide. With this podcast I feel sad to be on your way to being qualified as the
0: Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. So we are now at the start of interview season for clinical psychology anyway. Um, As of the Friday just gone, which was the 17th of March, you should have heard by now if you are being offered an interview for this year's clinical psychology doctorate interviews. So fingers crossed you have So as ever, there are our compassionate Q&A dates that we've got coming up. We've had the first one, which I'll admit was supposed to be on the 13th of March. And I'm very sorry to say that I forgot. It was just clean, overlooked in my diary. So I was settling down, watching some TV and someone from my membership messaged me to say, oh, my God, Tonight's session in the membership was amazing, but I'm sorry that it meant that I missed um, that I missed a compassionate Q and A, and I was like, oh, oh dear, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> I forgot to do it so I did it the next day instead I did it on Tuesday the 14th of March and it was really well received and if you didn't catch it you can watch it on replay on my YouTube channel Dr Marianne Trent if you can't see it right away toggle to the bit that says live broadcasts and it will be in there or you can look on the playlist it's definitely in there for the Q&A sessions Okay, so the second of the dates that we've got coming up is on Monday, the 17th of April, 2023 at 7.30 p.m. I will try to make sure I remind myself a bit better this time so that it definitely happens at that time. I'm very sorry if you were looking for it and you were inconvenienced in any way. And then the final of the series um, is Tuesday, the 5th of May. Um, two thousand and twenty three seven thirty p m so hope you'll find those really useful so if you would welcome some extra support at this time then do please consider coming on board to the aspiring psychologist membership because people have found it to be such a useful resource it's honestly been a lovely thing to to yeah put together and see come to fruition so beautifully. Um, so there's more information about that in the show notes or you can go to my website www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk. So today um, we are thinking about slightly earlier stages um, of career um, but also Learning a little bit more about faith and culture, and something that you may or may not know much about is Islamic psychology. So, I thought it would be really useful to speak to somebody who's based in a different country and to get a bit of an understanding about um, him. His name's Khalid, and yeah, what he's studying, how he's studying it, and how faith and culture impact on him and what he's learning and what he's understanding. So hope you'll find this to be a really useful episode, and I'll look forward to catching up with you on the other side. So I want to welcome along our guest today, um, Khaled, to the podcast. Hi, Khaled.
1: Hi, hi, everyone.
0: So um, I know people are probably, you know, getting bored of hearing me say it, but we did meet on LinkedIn, didn't we?
1: Yes, uh, (laughs) like everyone else, for sure. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love LinkedIn. Um, and we got chatting because you'd heard um, Alicia's podcast episode that I did with her thinking about faith and values. That's right, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the first thing other than LinkedIn, it was also Alicia's podcast. Like I uh, I, I saw the episode on my LinkedIn, also LinkedIn again. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, wow, this is really interesting. I'm gonna like listen to it. And I, and then I followed it like directly after I listened, because I, I, I honestly want to listen to more and more. From the podcast so i was uh, really curious on that
0: great thank you why did that podcast episode specifically resonate with you in the way it did do you think
1: uh, uh first of all like personally anyway i believe that uh faith is like generally disregarded as you know something that can uh, improve or this or, or worsen a person's mental state. Some people can be traumatized by, by faith and then they have a worse mental state. Some people can be uh, totally enhanced in terms of like, you know, what they think or their anxiety lessons or something like that, or the depression is lessened or, or uh, decreased. So I was thinking, okay, wow, like, you know, what, what both of you were uh, asking and uh, replying with was just like really insightful information and like something that more people could honestly use. Let's see. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I just sneezed. (laughs) Thank you. I was listening as I sneezed. Um, (laughs) Okay. I'm really glad that resonated with you and that you like the style of questioning. Um, Mm. And as we speak right now, um, you are not in the UK. So we've had to kind of organize a time for recording that meant that you weren't up in the middle of the night and neither were I. So do you want to tell people a little bit as you feel comfortable to where in the world you're speaking to us from?
1: Yeah. uh, So, uh, I currently reside in the UAE, uh, so it's four hours ahead of uh, Doctor Trent's time. So right now it's about eleven thirty, eleven forty-five for her, and it's about three forty-five PM for me right now. So yeah, just four hours difference. Not too, not too much, thankfully, but not too little either. So it's totally fine for my schedule anyway.
0: Brilliant. Did you manage to get across to go and see any of the World Cup in Qatar? Were you able to get there? Oh,
1: yeah, a, a lot. Uh, some people I knew from university uh, actually went there, but no, unfortunately, I, I didn't. I didn't.
0: No not for you not for you. Yeah I saw like um, one I... or a
1: few games just just from TV but not not actually going there so yeah. yeah.
0: Cool so um, why did this episode resonate with you particularly? So we know you're an aspiring clinical psychologist but what stage of your career are you at at the moment?
1: So uh, I'm in my bachelor's degree so I'm in my foundation year and I have Three years to go after foundation year so so it's technically foundation year is the first year before the three years where the psychology program actually like starts and you know ramps up in difficulty and quantity uh so I have four years to go for bachelor's and then after that is the postgraduate studies so I'm literally in my first year of university
0: great and I understand that you are at a UK university but a a foreign campus is that right
1: exactly so i'm studying in the university of birmingham dubai right now and uh birmingham university of birmingham like in ed Batchettin, was around since 1900 but uh my university has only been around for a couple of years now and like as let alone at this new campus because it used to be an old one which i never even visited but uh they have the new campus which opened only about two years ago if i'm not wrong uh and that was when they that was when you know they started hosting the same programs the same content as in the Ed Badstown campus, but just in the Middle East, in Dubai specifically.
0: That's amazing, because actually some of the, the tricky bits about people moving from different countries to the UK, or even internationally, is whether the qualifications are recognised, whether they're the same. But if it's the same qualification, then you get none of that. So, presumably, if your course is the equivalent to the um, British one, you'd potentially be eligible for registration with the British Psychological Society. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because, um, as far as I'm aware, anyway, I could be wrong, or maybe there could be changes. I'm not sure, but at least as of right now, from how from how much I'm aware, uh, if the if the uh, British Psychological Society appro- approves of the Birmingham uh, Psychology degree and like this is the same university. It's the same, even the same module. Even on Canvas, we also use Canvas, and the, the presentations are there. Literally, everything is there. This, that's the same. Uh, if you know Ed Batchelor has the BPS accreditation, then surely, as far as I'm aware, Birmingham Dubai should have it as well, or at least I think they're trying to get it. Maybe in one or two years, uh, it might change. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think I think as of right now, they don't have it, but they're like going to get it, like uh, get the accredi- accreditation in a year or two max i hope so
0: brilliant brilliant but that you know even if you don't end up with the um the accreditation still having the you know the same training the same experience the same skills and you know on your transcript is if you do want to work internationally one day that's gonna you know it's gonna really future-proof you so well so yeah well done to um birmingham uh dubai campus because that sounds like a great idea um and i guess you know at the end of the day universities are businesses and they're money making um endeavors aren't they and you know it's all about oh you know academia we're we're bettering people but actually the bottom line is they want to make money and their business of making money is Mm -hmm. by educating people and so if they can see there's a gap in the market then they're going to exploit that. But I think that's that's a pretty savvy one. I'm pretty pretty impressed with that.
1: Exactly. If I may add something. Uh, sure. University of Birmingham, is the University of Birmingham Dubai, is the first uh, Russell Group University to be anywhere in the Middle East. We haven't had, uh, we've had other universities from the UK before. We've had, uh, right now in Dubai, we have uh, Harriet Watts, uh, for example. But uh, like we don't have any Russell Group University. So Exeter, Leeds, those aren't in Dubai or, Saudi, or Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or Qatar or anywhere else in the Middle East but Birmingham was like okay we'll put Birmingham Dubai and in, in Dubai where it's literally one of the most popular places for tourism and so on and we're gonna have lots of Arabs to join our university so it was honestly a smart financial move like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be honest.
0: I think so. <laughs> Might set up an aspiring psychologist Dubai program. <laughs> yeah very smart very savvy. Um, okay so what um what led you to wanting to pursue a career in psychology Mm,
1: yeah so basically as a kid I used to always flip from job to job like in terms of like a dream career you know so I used to think oh I want to be a baker okay never mind I want to be a movie director I actually want to be a video game creator so like I I thought of like so many different things right and uh, then like high school hit like towards almost the end of high school Uh, and i was still not even sure what i wanted to do like as a job as a career what what you know what the major to go into university like none of that right honestly like i was so behind and then basically uh like it was basically kind of two factors but the first one was when i signed up for to do ap psychology the advanced placement psychology uh that my school was like offering you know they offered aps back then so i would so i chose to do ap psychology uh but the thing is also um What's it called? It's a self-study AP. So I didn't have a teacher, right? Like I'm just studying by myself, and what the school like offered me. So maybe sometimes they'd offer exams or, uh, you know, chapters of like the Barron's mm-hmm. book to to read. You know, so they'd make sure like okay, you're reading everything. But they were also not that serious at the same time because it was post-COVID, and you know, everybody was just like just lacking in terms of uh, their uh, efforts at school. So like it was both like half half from what this from what my school side was offering uh and advanced placement by the way like a side note it's uh it's uh it's the equivalent the american equivalent to a british a level so they're basically kind of the same thing if you're going to american universities uh generally speaking they might ask for aps obviously if you're going to uk universities you might ask for a levels so it's like sort of like an equivalent ish but uh basically uh ap psychology that was like a first thing it really helped to be totally honest because uh it like offered me so much insight into it i, I was studying from like the baron's book princeton book like lots of sources as well just for that one exam uh and it like it really like informed me of course of what psychology actually was and different types of it and uh different uh, even some sometimes uh different uh self-defense mechanisms i learned from Barron's and like for the ap for the advanced placement exam like a lot, I learned countless like so much valuable info just from that from that uh, from that advanced placement exam. I still have like my books. It's been two years, and I still have my books from the from the AP because I I just like cherish it that much. <laughs> uh, but a second thing, other than the AP, was uh, like my own personal like struggles with mental health. Like uh, it sounds even redundant at this point, but I like genuinely uh, like back then, you know, I struggled with like overthinking. Or uh, you know, like you know, having like sort of like body insecurities, if you can call it that, and like you know, I, and later on as time went on, especially two years ago, I you know I formed a much better like perception of myself, better did better habits, and I was wondering like what I could do because I knew people around me as well that suffered either mentally or emotionally or, or whatnot. So I was wondering like, okay, what if I could uh, attribute this uh, what I've done for myself, even if it's just a life coach way, to help other people. Uh, and like you know, spread some goodness or knowledge I learned, whether it's psychology or just from my own like introspection or experiences. Uh, what could I do to like say to not save people's lives, but even like sometimes could because psychologists do save people's lives. So uh, I also thought about you know uh, how do I help people mentally, diagnosing disorders and uh, preventing suicides. Like I thought that stuff was would be extremely fulfilling for me. So it's both the advanced placement and my own personal experiences and other experiences of people around me that made me want to pursue psychology.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you for sharing that, because I think it's always interesting thinking about what brings us to the profession. And speaking as a Middle Eastern man, how is mental health handled or considered or referred to by people, um, you know, around you?
1: Mm, Yeah, okay. So uh, it totally depends from country to country, to be honest, because I feel like the uae is much more open in terms of uh inviting international uh people and employees which obviously how birmingham dubai exists it's obviously from another country but you know they managed to make the whole university here and lots of the same programs and everything even obviously some staff from uh from uh, england for example are working here so it depends from country to country uh the uae is like has been really good i feel like in my personal opinion from what i know anyway at uh you know having more psychology programs and allowing more uh, people to teach psychology but it but for example in a country like where i'm from i'm from syria in syria like mental health is like barely discussed lots of people don't really like know about it some people might like feel really bad but maybe they'll just attribute to religion or to, "Oh, i have no friends or you know like no social no active social life or maybe they just like have bad habits or something they don't really like acknowledge like okay maybe it's this habit or it's this uh, disorder that's causing this thing, and you know we'll try to work from there. Or maybe it's this medication you need. Like Syria, it's not really that common. Like I, I know someone personally, a woman personally from Syria, uh, because they, we've been having a, we've we we have had the civil war for like years now, right? So her son uh, actually uh, would sometimes scream in the middle of the night, like literally post-traumatic stress disorder. Would literally scream in the middle of the night because like he would hear like bombs like before as a as a really young kid, and then. Uh, she told me like oh, they'd go to a psychiatrist and they'd give him medication, but it would, would, wouldn't really help out for the long term. And then he and then he would just keep doing the same behavior. So it really depends. Like Syria, the, the situation there has just not that been good from a psychology standpoint. The UAE it's been really good. And I I think I, I can't be sure, of course, but I think some other countries, uh Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, they've been better, like in terms of employing more psychologists and stuff like that, getting more people from abroad to teach in those countries. Uh, but it's still like not as good or not as advanced as somewhere like, uh, America, Germany, the, the UK. Uh, and of course, psych- uh, another thing to add is that the psychology standpoint and knowledge is so much better nowadays in the Middle East compared to like 20 years ago, 15 years ago, people would just barely even know of it. Let alone bring it up. Uh, but like now it's becoming much better. People are getting more aware. Life coaches, for example, are kind of helping it out. Even if it's not necessarily psychologists life coaches for example they do kind of bring up all oh, mental health is this uh how to do good habits is that and you know life coaches are helping out uh as well but i know personally some are uh some arab life coaches from people i know that they've told me oh this guy's really good this one is really good but psychology it's improving but it's still not there yet you know not like america uk uh austria so on
0: yeah, so it sounds like some of our Western approaches to mental health are sort of filtering through. And certainly with the UK universities being present on the soil, um, that might well oh, yeah. speed that up a bit as well.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, I don't even have much to add to it because, you know, yeah. the UK having the, their universities here, I feel like it's also helping quite a bit. Like I think mm. even 10 years ago or so, 15 years ago, the, the UAE didn't have one single psychology degree. If I'm not mistaken. So now, now it's getting, like, it's accelerating.
0: Yeah, yes, building its momentum for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And once you've done your um, your undergraduate degree, have you got an idea about what you might do next?
1: Uh, that's such a good question. So I, I'm really fascinated by clinical psychology, for sure. Uh, diagnosing disorders and, like, really going in depth, like something like a social uh, social worker or a mental health counsellor wouldn't, possibly wouldn't do. So I would want to, like, go more in depth and uh, tackle more, like, serious trauma, more long-term stuff. Uh, I I kind of thought that psychiatry, like, is sort of the same thing, but I thought it didn't really appeal to me as much because I, I don't want to have, like, shallow sessions and just give medication at the end. I thought I wanted to, like, form, like, good relationships with clients, of course, only during the time. Of course, you can't talk, to, as far as I'm aware, you can't talk with, socialize with your clients during and after sessions, you know, like, oh, yeah, uh, did you go to this restaurant? So nice. Like, no, you have to only talk in the office. <laughs> uh so i would like personally love doing that uh and also because like i'm uh, i'm a muslim and i've been i learned quite a bit about islamic psychology and honestly it also seems like really interesting to me uh how like faith and psychology are actually intertwined and like what what how faith can either accelerate or worsen someone's mental health Uh, I feel like faith is just generally not discussed, like uh, Muslim or otherwise, how like maybe other people might just be uh, mentally scarred or maybe they have wrong perceptions or maybe, uh, you know, they might just have something wrong uh, in terms of their faith. And maybe that's what's like not being addressed, because generally, uh, from what I've learned, psychology doesn't really address impacts that things like religion have so Islamic psychology would be like really interesting to delve into so it's either clinical or Islamic though I've always thought more about clinical and I'm more familiar with clinical so yeah
0: could you tell us a bit more about Islamic psychology if you can
1: okay so I'm not an Islamic psychologist myself but essentially uh if I'm not wrong so basically in Islam we believe that there's four things like I speak from a Muslim also uh we usually have four things like to take care of so we have the heart which is basically your emotions uh, uh which means called in arabic jesed or the body so like you know your physical self uh روح, which is your spirit so like you know spiritually and also uh so the heart the soul uh and the mind so mentally so you basically have spiritual emotional physical mental so you have these four aspects that are intertwined to make like a good uh you know being a, a good being and a role model and someone that I would do in this life and as in islam we also believe that there's a next life either heaven or hell so uh that we believe so for example if i'm if i have really good relationships and i have uh and i have a, a good spiritual health so maybe i'm practicing my religion all the time but i have horrible physical health so i'm always going to doctors and uh i have you know i can i'm always getting really tired and maybe i'm a smoking addict so you know i i can't feel relaxed without a cigarette so basically like these so basically this doesn't really constitute a full like human being in wellness because the physical part is always taking away from the other parts as well and it's worsening your overall like existence in this life so you know you might be worse off in sports or other physical activities or you know outings with family or friends so that's why, for example, all four of these, like generally speaking, in Islamic psychology, must be uh, like must be uh, considered. Not just physical, mental, emotional. Like this, the the uh, spiritual is also important. So obviously, maybe sometimes from an Islamic scholar's point of view, maybe you have these three aspects, but the spiritual is 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 uh, isn't uh, up to par. So maybe you're going to need to practice more in order to feel actually more fulfilled uh, and then have a good like well-being overall. All these four: spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Thank you. That's really interesting as an idea. Um and I guess you might have heard me talk about it on the podcast before. It's like having your ducks in a row or at least knowing which ducks it is you're trying to tame, isn't it? You know, and <laughs> um you know, yeah, when we look at Maslow's hierarchy, you know, if your health is impaired, that's going to really impact on your ability to move up that pyramid. Um it's also interlinked. So I really like that that explicit focus on those four areas um, you know and I think sometimes when we when we've got some of our ducks in a row or if you've got three of those areas that are actually looking pretty pretty good pretty shiny it does then perhaps give you the impetus to think let's see what we can do about that fourth one let's see how we can to get that more in line with with the others where I want to be because it might be holding me back from my goals or stopping me from being as well as I can be
1: yeah exactly so maybe, for example, uh, you might you might uh, always be devoted to your relationships, but then your mental health it might be bad because maybe you might be more people pleasing, or maybe you'll just do or say uh, things that you normally wouldn't do just for the emotional aspect and not the mental one. So you're just ignoring your your mental health and your own sense of peace. You know that, that's a, that's another thing. So they're all related in Islamic psychology, even clinical obviously, but uh, usually clinical psychologists exclude the spiritual. So, so Islamic psychology. Uh, considers the spiritual as well as the other three not just spiritual and not just other three so it's all for it
0: brilliant thank you and I think it's okay to combine the two I think it's okay for you to be an Islamic clinical psychologist so of course certainly when we're working in the NHS you know we're, we're not using faith interventions but I think it's absolutely okay um, to talk about you know well I understand as a you know, an Islamic male or a Muslim or whatever you want to introduce yourself as, as I understand it, this is this is the learnings of my faith. This is how we understand it. But you're not saying you should do this, you, you should do that. You're offering clients in different way of looking at things to see if things resonate with them. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm okay with bringing myself to therapy. So, you know, I'm not sharing my woes. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not sharing all this deep personal information, but I will happily share that I'm a parent and I'm a parent of two boys, you know, and I'm married. Um, And you know, you might well know from listening to the podcast that my dad died um, in 2017. So I'm happy to share that basic information um, with clients if it's relevant, you know, because yeah. I think it helps you to be a human first and a psychologist second. Um And because it just offers you some context and makes you feel more like a tangible human rather than some robotic therapist, you know. So as you go through your training, you might well develop some competence and confidence in just weaving in appropriate amounts of yourself into the work you do with people without it being all about you because it shouldn't be all about us.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I sometimes think that I'm like, okay, maybe uh, I've seen before that some therapists say, or uh, that you know, maybe something that uh, therapists can sometimes do, not always, but sometimes do, is uh, they bring up their own details so that the that the client can resonate with them, but not to the point where the therapist becomes like the client and they switch roles. Like, no. Like, uh, the therapist can sometimes say some details, one or two or something, uh, so that the client can like relate to them or think like, okay, this is a normal human being thing and. And uh, it's totally fine to feel this way or to have something that happened this way.
0: Exactly, and actually, a good a good catchphrase to use. Um, if you don't want to use self-disclosure, is, you know, other clients I've worked with have found that, um, or lots of people have told me that, or, you know, I wonder if you might consider the ideas from um, Islam that tells us about this, but you're not actually saying, this is what I say, this is what I believe. You're just, you know, introducing Mm. that there might be different viewpoints. So, certainly in dynamic um, psychology and psychotherapy, you wouldn't use any any level of self-disclosure at all. But it's got to feel comfortable to you um, and authentic, you know, so we're not sharing more than we feel comfortable with, really.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I fully agree. Like, you you wouldn't to want to just overbear on the client. And sometimes, you know, bringing extra details from yourself might be embarrassing on your part. So, you know, bringing, like, an external source, oh, uh, this... Uh, these therapists also think that, the, you know, y- you know you should do this thing and so on and so
0: forth. Mm. Great. So, you know, in terms of whatever role you end up pursuing, um, it's often really useful to have relevant experience roles. So um, have you got plans yeah. to start doing some sort of clinically ish relevant work on the side of your degree or, you know, roles that you might think about applying for? It probably feels quite distant. We're talking about four years' time, but um, have you got roles you're considering or would consider?
1: Uh, Like in terms of just internships, you mean, right?
0: So in this country, we might have support work in psychiatric hospitals or mm. home care or teaching assistant or assistant yeah. psychologist. Um, there's a whole, you know, psychological wellbeing practitioners. I don't know if that training has yet started coming to, coming to the Middle East, but, um, there's a whole variety of relevant experience. And I, I guess I wondered what the flavor of that kind of work is, is looking like, um, at the moment.
1: Mm, yeah so uh, basically like in the middle east like i've said unfortunately there's not as much experience as in the uk um even getting jobs sometimes i've heard even for for like because i live in the uae of course so sometimes even for national students it's a bit hard like to, uh, to always get a job on the spot sometimes you need connections or mutuals in you know, order that, that you know can get you a job sometimes you really need like a qualification you really need the university degree in order for people to accept you some uh there's only, i swear i think i've seen personally i think i've seen maybe only one person under 18 that's actually been able to find a job uh other than that though generally speaking like internships aren't that easy to find here uh maybe if the university offers you something directly like you know volunteering for example that uh, I, I don't know if this volunteering considered uh like summer uh, internship work in the UK? like. Uh...
0: So honorary experience um, is absolutely relevant, but what can sometimes be tricky with honorary experience is that um, sometimes it's fewer hours a week um, because, of course, people need to be able to make um, a living. And so when we're looking at um, counting how many months or full-time equivalent months people have had, it's sometimes takes a lot of work to even you know add up to a couple of months and so that's why it can be deemed as less favorable because unless you're working full time every day for free you know 5 days a week which many people can't and shouldn't have to afford to do then it's tricky to to get the same amount of Experience, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, it's very much useful. So, I did an honorary assistant post and I did that um, by taking a day a week of annual leave from my paid role over 10 weeks. So, 10 days. But whilst on paper, that didn't look like that's not even a month, you know, but actually, in terms of my life, that was, you know, three ish months. Um, maybe even going on for four depending on how spaced out it was but in terms of my understanding about psychology and my confidence in talking about psychology and psychology terms and you know um, having a reference to put on my form that was a clinical psychologist and you know just my confidence in talking about all of that stuff and feeling like I could talk the talk and walk the walk so in terms of what I got from those 10 days I would say it was massive but on paper it looked like less than a month's experience. So we don't always do it for for how many months on our form it looks like. We do it for... The massive leaps and bounds um, that it helps bring on our development. So, um, you know, I couldn't at that time afford to not be working, but I could. I decided I could take the hit of having two weeks less annual leave um, that year. Um, so, you know, still a little bit more rubbish because for the rest of the year I had less annual leave. But actually, being in that role really energized me. Anyway, I loved, I loved doing that, and so I, I felt like it was worth it
1: wait so you worked for 10 days over a span of almost four months and but you still say that like even though it might have been really exhausting or draining it still really helped you out even till now
0: yeah so i was working for a local government i was like working for the council so i'd usually work mondays to fridays you know nine to five but i'd negotiated with my um basically i i I knew of a clinical psychologist that was sort of working with some of my clients. And so I'd emailed her and said, is there any chance you'd consider taking me on in an honorary I'll take some annual leave. And we wrangled a bit. And then eventually she said yes. Um, So, yeah, I then negotiated with my workspace to allow me to be essentially part time for 10 weeks so that I could take every Mm. Monday off to go and work. um, Yeah. Under under a clinical psychologist. So um, yeah, it's no more exhausting in terms of um, me doing days of of work in a week. But of course, one of the key ways to not burn out as a human, let alone an aspiring psychologist, is to make sure that you take your annual leave. And of course, that was two weeks worth of annual leave that I then wasn't able to take because I'd taken it doing honorary work. Does that make more sense?
1: Ah, Yeah, so you used up the two weeks of your annual leave during your internship during your work time, so yeah
0: yeah it allowed me to not be at work so I was on annual leave um I wasn't getting paid by the honoree service but I was getting paid for my normal role so it didn't lead to any diminished income um for me
1: okay okay I think I understand now yeah okay yeah
0: yeah okay and in terms of you know i've just shared a little tip for reducing burnout is make sure you use your annual leave have you got any tips to help you reduce burnout as an aspiring psychologist because you know when you look ahead it you know you said you said before we start recording it feels like you know 10 years time you know it might might be like in a good place but at the yeah. moment it feels like it's like you know on the distant horizon so how are you reducing mm-hmm. and avoiding burnout
1: yeah it feels so close yet yeah, it's so far uh I think like i mean i only speak from a student and a student's uh, experience but uh for me i feel like uh setting up a routine even if you don't always follow it like for me personally i feel like it's helped a lot so i don't like lose track of time uh and i don't you know w- waste or w- sit around and like not do something uh, i also feel like uh, in terms to avoid burnout uh like just doing something like in the middle, like some people do Pomodoro, but personally I've never been able to do that exactly Fix 25 and then five and 25 and five. It's, it's been hard for, it's hard for me to do that, but um, just having like some do other system you call it
0: pomodoro.
1: Have you heard of it? I, I always no. saw it on YouTube. So it's, it's basically this uh, study or work technique. Some people, a lot of people do, or some people do where uh, you study for 25 minutes. You have a break for five. You study for 25. You have a break for five. Then you study for 25, then you have a break for five again. And then when you study for 25 minutes the fourth time, then you have a 30-minute break. So this is basically what some people do to study for like a full day or half a day or something. So they study for 25 minutes, then five-minute break like three times in a row. Then when they study 25 minutes the fourth time, they take a 30-minute break instead of a five-minute. So, yeah. Yeah. But I personally was never able to do that. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I used to do so something similar with myself, but
0: with Mars bars, when I was to encourage me to, to study, I would reward myself with Mars bars, which, yeah, mm-hmm. probably not advisable, but um, in short term bursts, <laughs> it worked for me.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. The, you know, it's just getting candy. Like, well, what else could you want? Like, something so simple, that's so nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Khalid, thank you so much for coming along to the podcast and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and the way you see the world. Um, It's been a real pleasure.
1: It's it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: You're welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for listening or watching, depending on which you're doing. I'd love to know what you think about this episode, whether it's evoked anything for you. And if it has, please do come along on the Aspiring Psychologist Community, brackets free group um, on Facebook. Um, And I'd love to catch up with you there. Um, Do take a moment, um, if you are listening as a podcast, or even if you're not, um, if you're watching on YouTube, still to leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, the Aspiring Psychologist podcast show. That would be really appreciated. Please do bear in mind that the books, the Clinical Psychologist Collective and the Aspiring Psychologist Collective can be useful for whatever stage you're at with your journey, um, whether it is that you've got interviews or that you're still carving out your career and gaining your experience ready to apply to some other area of psychology or indeed clinical psychology in future. People have said that they're really useful for helping them think about reflecting um, and for also thinking about other opportunities and avenues for jobs. So somebody contacted me recently, so they're just starting a new role and they feel so excited and it was actually reading Um, those books that gave them the idea of that, of even searching for that role. So um, yeah, good things happened and lives are changing because of this podcast, which is wonderful. The same can be said for people within the Aspiring Psychologist membership that feel like they got interviews this year because of the work that we've been doing to help coach them and to help supercharge their abilities and their confidence so do please consider coming on board if you think that would be useful for you um it's 30 pounds a month but with no minimum term so thank you so much for listening watching whatever it is you're doing i will look forward to catching up with you for our next episode which will be available for you from monday at 6 a.m thanks for being part of my world and i'll see you very soon take care
1: if you're looking to become a psychologist Your guide. with this podcast that your side to be on the way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diacolola Amujam. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK D application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and training clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book, as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.